0: to Nudie Reads, a classic podcast for my mother. She read to me when I was little, so now I'm returning the favour, and you're welcome to listen along. It's Sunday, and that means I'm reading a classic. Thursdays are for offbeat stuff, but whatever I'm reading, it's always great writing. Tonight, I'm reading The Diary of a Nobody, a classic English literary work from the very late 19th century, 1888 to be precise, in London, by the brothers George and Whedon Grossmith. Never heard of it? Well, it's the original work on which works like Bridget Jones' Diary and The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole have all been based. George and Whedon Grossmith both were comedians, writers and actors. George was particularly successful as an entertainer in his own right, and worked with Gilbert and Sullivan on their comic operas. George is responsible for the creation of the very model of a modern major general in The Pirates of Penzance, as well as Coco, the Lord High Executioner, in the Mikado. And he collaborated with his brother Whedon to produce The Diary of a Nobody, an affectionate but satirical look at English petit-bourgeoisie, or what we might think of as lower-middle-class folk who are nevertheless pretentious when they probably really shouldn't be. The Diary of a Nobody is fiction about the Pooter family. Charles and Caroline and their feckless son William Lupin. Charles is some kind of bank clerk. Caroline, or Carrie as Charles calls her, stays at home to manage the house and the butcher and the butterman. Their friends Going and Cummings appear from time to time. And all Charles' effort always involves him taking himself and his station in life a bit too seriously, and ends in some kind of ignominy. But he soldiers on in good spirits, and that's pretty British, don't you think? It's a rich vein of humour. The Brits love this stuff to pieces, and it has particularly showed in their TV. I'm thinking of Hyacinth Bucket, pronounced bouquet from keeping up appearances, or even Ricky Gervais in the office. I call it discomfort humour, and so long as it is offered with genuine affection for the subject, it works for me. Charles Pooter has been called a quixotic figure, but that's not right in my opinion. He's not mad. And if you're interested in Don Quixote, check out episode four of this podcast. Charles Pooter is not mad. He's just... well... He really says it best in his Diary of a Nobody. So let's begin. Why should I not publish my diary? I have often seen reminiscences of people I have never even heard of, and I fail to see, because I do not happen to be a somebody, why my diary should not be interesting. My only regret is I did not commence it when I was a youth... Charles Pooter, the Laurels, Brickfield Terrace, Holloway, London. November eighteen, woke up quite fresh after a good night's rest and feel quite myself again. I am satisfied a life of going out in society is not a life for me. We therefore declined the invitation which we received this morning to Miss Bird's wedding. We only met her twice at Mr James's, and it means a present. I told Sarah not to bring up the blamange again for breakfast. It seems to have been placed on our table at every meal since Wednesday. In spite of my instructions, that blamange was brought up again for supper. To make matters worse, there had been an attempt to disguise it by placing it in a glass dish with jam around it. Carrie asked Lupin if he would have some and he replied, no second-hand goods for me, thank you. I told Carrie when we were alone, if that Blamange were placed on the table again, I should walk out of the house. April 4 Tradesmen still calling. Carrie being out, I arranged to deal with Horwin, who seemed a civil butcher with a nice clean shop. Ordered a shoulder of mutton for tomorrow to give him a trial. Carrie arranged with Borset, the butter man, and ordered a pound of fresh butter and a pound and a half of salt ditto for the kitchen and a shilling's worth of eggs. In the evening, Cummings unexpectedly dropped in to show me a pipe he had won in a raffle and told me to handle it carefully as it would spoil the colouring if the hand was moist. He said he wouldn't stay as he didn't much care for the smell of paint and fell over the scraper as he went out. Must get the scraper removed or else I shall get into a scrape. I don't often make jokes. April 5 Two shoulders of mutton arrived, Carrie having arranged with another butcher without consulting me. Gowing called and fell over the scraper coming in. I must get that scraper removed. April sixth, Eggs for breakfast. Simply shocking. Sent them back to Borsett with my compliments and he needn't call any more for orders. Couldn't find Umbrella and though it was pouring with rain had to go without it. In the evening, hearing someone talking in a loud voice to the servant in the downstairs hall, I went to see who it was, and was surprised to find it was Borset, the butterman, who was both drunk and offensive. Borset, on seeing me, said he'd be hanged if he would ever serve city clerks any more. The game wasn't worth the candle. I restrained my feelings and quietly remarked that I thought it was possible for a city clerk to be a gentleman. He replied he was very glad to hear it and wanted to know whether I'd ever come across one for he hadn't. He left the house slamming the door after him which nearly broke the fanlight <laughs> and I heard him fall over the scraper which made me feel glad I hadn't removed it. When he had gone I thought of a splendid answer I thought to have given him. However I'll keep it for another occasion. April 7th Being Saturday I looked forward to being home early and putting a few things straight, but two of our principals at the office were absent through illness and I did not get home till seven. Found Borsett waiting. He had been three times during the day to apologise for his conduct last night. He said he was unable to take his bank holiday last Monday and took it last night instead. He begged me to accept his apology and a pound of fresh butter. He seems, after all, a decent sort of fellow, so I gave him an order for some fresh eggs, with a request that on this occasion they should be fresh. April 8 After church, the curate came back with us. I sent Carrie in to open the front door, which we do not use except on special occasions. She could not get it open, and after all my display, I had to take the curate, whose name I just didn't catch, round the side entrance. He caught his foot in the scraper and tore the bottom of his trousers. Most annoying. After dinner, went to sleep. Took a walk around the garden and discovered a beautiful spot for sowing mustard and cress and radishes. Went to church again in the evening. Walked back with the curate. Carrie noticed he had got on the same pair of trousers, only repaired. He wants me to take round the plate, which I think a great compliment. April twenty nine. I'm getting quite accustomed to being snubbed by Lupin and I don't mind being set upon by Carrie because I think she has a certain amount of right to do so. But I do think it hard to be at once snubbed by wife, son and both my guests. Going and comings had dropped in during the evening and I suddenly remembered an extraordinary dream I had a few nights ago and I thought I would tell them about it. I dreamt I saw some huge blocks of ice in a shop, with a bright glare behind them. I walked into the shop and the heat was overpowering. I found that the blocks of ice were on fire. The whole thing was so real and yet so supernatural, I woke up in a cold perspiration. Lupin, in a most contemptuous manner, said, What utter rot! Before I could reply, Gowing said there was nothing so completely uninteresting as other people's dreams. I appealed to Cummings, but he said he was bound to agree with the others, and my dream was especially nonsensical. I said, It seemed so real to me. Gowing replied, Yes, to you, perhaps, but not to us. Whereupon they all roared. Carrie, who had hitherto been quiet, said he tells me his stupid dreams every morning, nearly. I replied, Very well, dear, I promise you I will never tell you or anyone else another dream of mine the longest day I live. Lubin said, hear, hear, and helped himself to another glass of beer. The subject was fortunately changed, and Cummings read a most interesting article on the superiority of the bicycle to the horse. And that's where we'll leave it tonight. The minute thoughts and activities of a fictional Petit Bourgeois fellow in Holloway, London, 1888. The Diary of a Nobody began its serialisation in Punch magazine and in 1892 was published in book form to become the much-loved literary work that it is today. I hope I've given you a sense of how charming this work is. Do get it if you get a chance. These days people don't seem to keep diaries. They journal. Yes, journaling as a verb. The practice of capturing what's on your mind daily the comings and goings of your life, if you will, so you can free up brain space with purpose and productivity. What do you think would have been on the mind of an actual person living in London in 1888? If we could look at some real diaries, what would they all have been recording? Some folks would have gone to see Gilbert and Sullivan's The Mikado, performed by the Doily Cart Opera Company and playing at the Savoy Theatre and they would have expressed how much joy and laughter they experienced at that show. Others would be pale with fear, reading about Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes and Mary Jane Kelly, the canonical five victims in 1888 of Jack the Ripper. Join me next time when I read real-time newspaper reports about the Ripper's barbarous acts. Till then, take care. It's slippery out there. And thanks for listening to me